Hey guys, welcome to Heal, Survive, and Thrive. I am so excited that you're here. This week we have Christine Carlson, who is the co-author with her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson of the New York Times bestseller, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Guys, go check out that book. It is amazing. She is also featured this fall as the subject of a Lifetime movie based on her book, Heartbroken Open, a true story of coming alive again after profound loss. So let's welcome Christine and enjoy this podcast. I wanted to kind of start with giving the viewers a little sense of who you are and kind of what led you to this road of dealing with loss in your own life. Yeah. So um, thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be on with you today. Um, So I'm probably best known Um, for my work with my late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson in the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book series. Um, There's over nine books in the series and it was um, very popularized back in the um, late 90s. And then it has stayed very popular over the last um, 25 years. So we um, started out as high, uh, not high school, but college sweethearts and really um, fell in love at first meeting and our lives together, my late husband, um, Dr. Richard Carlson and mine was just, I don't know, it was just one of those real storybook kind of wonderful romances that blossomed into a beautiful partnership and marriage. And Don't Sweat the Small Stuff was his 10th book. So he really, we kind of, you know, we had that classic struggling story until the 10th book. And then it just, his whole career just completely took off. And so for 10 years, we had two, two daughters, we're raising two young girls. And um, in high school, one was a freshman, one was a senior, graduating senior. And in December of um, my um or ten, about the 10th anniversary, 15 years ago, my husband was promoting his latest book and um, got on a flight to New York. And on the descent of that flight, he had a pulmonary embolism, which took his life and was very sudden. It was, it was considered, you know, we, we had no idea that there was really anything wrong with him. And we got that phone call, you know, that, that really life-shattering phone call that, you know, many people get and that many people dread. And if you've never gotten a phone call like that, you never want to get one again, you know, it's like, <laughs> but it kind of sent our idyllic life into a whole new trajectory you know suddenly we were three women young women I mean I was still I was only 43 my oldest daughter was 17 my youngest daughter was 14 in a household um, that began to really grieve deeply a a huge missing part of our lives Um, and Richard was really just an astounding person He, he was one of those truly exceptional human beings so He was not only an exceptional husband um, and an exceptional best friend to me to an amazing partner, but he was also a truly wonderful father. And so it was, it was just a huge loss, a huge loss to everyone who knew him, um, to his parents who were still alive, his siblings, to us, to all of his friends. So that's kind of my, you know, my story is I, I really had this just very fairy tale idyllic life that got shattered, you know, in, in one moment and, and shows you how quickly life changes. And then it was up to me to really pick up the pieces of, of our lives and show leadership for my daughters, go through the grieving process. And then as I came out the other side, I was like, wow, I really want to help people. I really, really want to help people because as I would lay on the floor sometimes in just primal grief, 
where I felt like my heart was just going to break out of my chest and that surely if I was older, I would die from this pain. I thought, geez, if I have all the tools in my tool belt and all the support system that I had, if I'm going through this kind of pain, how does just the normal average person who hasn't had a life of personal growth and doesn't have the experts to call go through this pain? And so I began to witness my grief and and I started to write about it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about this is because I think for my audience, when they're thinking about grief, they're talking, they're thinking about the person who perhaps was not the husband of the year, (laughs) who perhaps was not the best father or, or partner. And I think it's just important to understand that grief is grief and loss is loss. And having this quote dream that I thought was going to happen and it be taken away, no matter how it's taken away, is really irrelevant. It's more about us helping each other through what it means to heal and rebuild and carry on. And that is a process in itself. Take me back to kind of, and I know as the years go on, it's hard to remember those raw moments of what you were really going through, because I I really think time does heal. And I think what you do in that time really significant is, is significant towards healing, but How do you, for someone who is like just going through this, is just entering a divorce, has just lost someone, what is like that one thing that you would say to that person that just basically got off the floor from that cry, from that moment, and is now listening to this? Well, I'd say that, first of all, what you are going through is, is a temporary experience, and it's going to hit its phases and stages. And when it's raw, it's, it's painful in a different way than when it's been a year or two down the road and it's still painful. It's a different kind of pain. But what I would say is that what I did um, was I carved out time for myself um, as much as I possibly could. Now I know, you know, many of you listening, you're, you're going to have to go back to work at a certain point. You're going to have to, you know, do things for your family. I did too. But the more that you can carve out time and space to be quiet and not busy is kind of counter um, intuitive to what our society tells us to do. Everybody says, oh, keep busy, keep busy. Now, I don't mean to isolate yourself. You should spend time with friends, people who can hold you in grief, who don't need to fix your grief, but can actually hold your space for grief. You know, th- those are the people that I chose to spend time with as I did carve out time. I like to think of it like grief is a time to be in a very protective cocoon. You know, it is a time where you are transforming. You're going through a huge change and transition in your life. And, and you need to allow yourself that space to feel your feelings, to go through your waves of grief, to cry, you know, I mean, crying is one of the most healing mechanisms that we have screaming and being angry is also an incredibly healing mechanism Mm -hmm. as is laughing Mm -hmm. as is dancing laughing and movement so time in nature time hiking time in the bathtub and you know really taking warm baths if you can or warm showers being very Mm -hmm. gentle kind and compassionate with yourself Um, these are the things that i I remember doing, and these are the things that I recommend doing in those early stages of grief. I think you touched on something that I forgot that I even kind of felt as well. For me, you know, I always 
looked at grief as it's happening because there's a quick, abrupt change that just took place. As much as you think you're prepared for change, if, if, if you're witnessing someone dying, you know, if you know you're not good in your marriage and you know divorce is probably around the corner, nothing prepares you for the actual ripping of the Band-Aid off and, and, and taking away from what just has always been. And I think in those moments, whether you want the change to happen or not, it's still, and that's another great point because I know that there are people listening that are initiating the change and, but it's still something that our minds and our bodies and our spirit and all these different areas, our emotional self is not prepared for what's to come because for what's to come is the unknown. And that transition takes time. And I love that you said, I spent time with people that could hold a space for me that like, when you said that, I was like, oh my God, absolutely. Because and you knew, you quickly learned who the people that wanted just to make me feel better. And I don't want to feel better right now. I need to, I need to go through this. And, or the people that didn't, you thought would maybe be there a little bit more for you. Yeah. <laughs> kind of work and maybe drop the ball a little bit. So you, you learn and doesn't necessarily make them bad people, but, or maybe you learned that, that this wasn't the best person in my life, but I think finding those people that could hold that space for you and you also doing it for yourself. That was something that I 100% learned how to do was I couldn't change the fact that I felt this way and I couldn't fight it anymore. So I had to just sit with it for a minute and understand that some days were good, some days were bad. And I think that's the frustrating part for a lot of people. And it was for me too, you know, in all transparency, I, I hated the fact that one day I felt like angry and then the next day I felt, okay, hopeful. Okay, I'll get through it. And the next day I felt depleted. Like it was just so up down learning about self-care for me and learning what that meant for me. I had never really done that before. I didn't know what, what do I need today to just kind of get through the day and feel really good. And it, and it forced me personally to kind of slow down and learn how to carve out that time, like you said, and how to make myself a little bit of a priority because I kind of had to at that point, because if I hadn't, I would not have been able to function for my son or be that strong mom, like that you had to be at some point as well for your girls. And I think for me, those were the, the tidbits that, that helped. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think that <clears throat> when people don't give themselves the time and space to heal, you know, then grief is not something that goes away. It just waits until you're ready to express it, you know, Ooh. it waits. Girl, you have some good ones coming out right now. That was amazing. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, and I, you know, it's like that whole notion of you—you you really do have to feel it to heal it. You really do. You have to allow those waves and allow space for those waves. Um, I was really surprised. I don't know if you noticed this, but I was really surprised at the safest place for me to be in grief was in the present moment. You know, like as soon as I was thinking about my future, that was super painful um, to imagine a future without Richard. And then living in my past was really painful um, because it, I was no longer there and I knew that. So I, I found that sitting in stillness and being present was really a safe place, which was a beautiful thing because after a year of that, I really got super, super present, which ironically was one of the great teachings of my late husband. <laughs> 
Oprah, <laughs> Oprah said that, you know, he taught her how to be present. And, and, um, and here I was, I was learning it, you know, after he was no longer in my physical presence, you know, but it, it was just quite ironic, but I, I have become a much more present person since um, going through the kind of loss that I've been through. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that these experiences, I, I I've always said that this has taught me the greatest lessons of my life. So I'm always thankful. And I know my, my loss is now different than yours. So I, I'm not going to speak in terms of your loss whatsoever, because I don't know what that feels like, but I'm, I'm thankful that I went through it because I learned how to really love myself, take care of myself and find inner peace and happiness. And I live there all the time because I'm still a human being <laughs> that gets stressed and anxious and overthinks and is not but I at least like know these skills now, like in order to kind of get myself back to that centered place where I don't sweat the small stuff. You like how I just kind of put that in there. Hey guys, are you ready to launch your new career in coding? Have you always wanted to become a developer? Treehouse has one of the best and most affordable online classrooms for you. At Treehouse, they have built a proven system to get the skills and knowledge that you need to actually achieve your goals. These courses will allow you to watch, learn, practice as well to absorb these concepts. So choose to build a portfolio. You can also create your network and land your dream job with their bootcamp style tech degree program. Land your dream job this year, whatever your goal is, they will help you get there. Get 50% off your first month as a special discount by using the link below. The loss through divorce and death is there is, of course, a difference um, in the sense of that in death, you have this feeling that, you know, something is taken from you, you know, and, and it's, it can be different in that way. But, but the loss of the dream of, of the future life is the same thing. And the annihilation of the identity that comes with any kind of huge loss is the same thing. And I, I think it's really the identity crisis that after we get through the grief of our loss, it's the identity crisis that is the other part of our grief, you know, is we have to um, discover who we are after this loss, after this person, who are we now? You know, who are we now as a single woman? Who are we now as a, sing a single mother? You know, it, it interrupts everything in your life. It's a total disruptor to go through a divorce or to go through um, loss through a death. And, mm -hmm. and yet and, and the same thing happens to people when they get the, um, they get the news that they're, they're physically ill, you know, like they get this news that they may have a life-threatening illness and they go through the loss of identity of, oh, now I'm not a healthy person. I'm a person living with this disease, you know? Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of losses that, um, you know, they're, they're very, um, they're life-changing. Um, I love what you said about that you, these, this presented your greatest life lessons. And, and I think philosophically, when you live with the idea that, that we find meaning in the things that happen and we can find meaning in all things that happen, and that perhaps life is happening for us as painful as it can be sometimes, mm -hmm. then that's the way to emerge as a victor in your life and not a victim, you know? And <clears throat> these kinds of philosophical um, things that you can choose for yourself in the aftermath of loss and change are very powerful. And to realize that 
at a certain point, you must choose. You must choose to live your life. You must choose joy over pain because a lot of people do get addicted to their grief. A lot of people think that grief and love are the same thing and that, well, if I really loved him, I would grieve him forever. And no, you know, if you really love somebody, you're going to go through grief and you're going to come out the other side because that's what love is. You know, love is life. And, and, and you have to learn to love your life more than any of the losses that occur, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I 100%. I think, you know, you just brought up that self-empowerment piece where pain is there, grief is there, which is all from the past, really, even if it mm-hmm. just has happened, you know, it just has happened. It's still from the past. And I love, love that you said you must choose like, yeah. and for me, I think it's, it is to me, it sounds like it's the same. Your loss, my loss is the same because mine came from, I think when you go through someone cheating, betraying, lying, leaving, abandoning, you know, all of those kind of things not end up being who you thought they were. Um, and that kind of deceitful thing, stuff that you have to go through, you still reach a point where you're angry. And I think sometimes the anger is really at the top. I don't know if it's the same for your type of a loss, that anger at that person and, or that this had to happen. And then I have to go through this and, and all of that stuff. And then you kind of like it subsides and then like the sadness kind of sits in and you can kind of get stuck in that. Yeah. Like, and I see so many people getting stuck in, stuck in it where they don't choose to move on and decide to move on or decide to forgive. And, and, and that's a process. That's not like a one-off. Okay. I'm going to decide to move on. No, it's a, it's still, it's ebbing and flowing. It's just, you're pulling yourself in a direction of hope versus staying stuck in that grief that will always be there. And I think that was another beautiful thing that you said that I want everyone to listen to that grief is with you for a lifetime. doesn't mean it shows up the same way it did day one, but you know, if you catch me on the wrong side of the bed, you could get emotion in me from what I've been through. And I'm sure that's the same with you. It doesn't mean that you wake up every day and you still feel that same level of grief, but it's okay to be human and say, Hey, I've gone through this in my past. I don't think about it every day. I don't cry about it every day, but if something, if I just feel a little sensitive one day and, and I start grieving, or if I start feeling an emotion, that it's normal to actually still feel that. Yeah. I mean, thank God we have feelings, you know, feelings mean that we're alive. So grief is a very alivening, you know, it it, it tends to carve out places in you an awakening place of very deeply spiritual place that you may not otherwise um, experience. So I know it's kind of hard to say those things when somebody's really in the depths of grief, you know, like they don't, Nobody really wants that in the depths of grief. No, no, no. We we all just want to know the shortest distance out. Like, how can I get out of this? Right, right. For me, it was, I was just trying to like get through today. It became like, it became the smallest moments of like, I just need to be a mom to a little baby and survive that and eat and shower. And just yes. like, that was it. That was the goal. Like, that's all I had on the agenda. I wasn't trying to feel happy. I couldn't no. even possibly think about my future and like what I couldn't even think about getting married again or being in, I mean, that was so far gone. It was just, you're in survival mode and you yeah. just stay there for a while. And then you have like a random one day where you're like, okay, I don't feel like I'm surviving anymore. I can do a little bit more. And then you just start gravitating towards that. But I do think the conscious deciding to do more and want more and that you deserve more is 
is the thing that kind of will take you to the next level where you are not a victim and you do thrive and life can get better, you know, because you deserve it to get better. And especially in your case, I mean, he would hundred percent want you to be Oh, happy. absolutely. Absolutely. So you're almost doing the person <laughs> disjustice by saying, I'm just going to grieve and grieve forever and, and never feel love again or move on again. And my husband wrote a book called You Can Be Happy No Matter What. That was in his early career. <laughs> I think, isn't that so funny? I, I mean, and the titles, you guys are spot, he was definitely spot on with that one. That was the biggest, it's funny, this pain that you go through, it teaches you so many different layers of life and yourself. And there's a huge, I always tell people when I coach them, a lot of it for me with what I coach, a lot of it is definitely psychology and understanding codependency, narcissism, emotional abuse, things like that. I think it's hugely important to teach that stuff because we're not taught it and we don't know how to look out for it. But another I'd say 90% of what I'm really teaching is a lot of spirituality. It's a lot of you learning how to take care of yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Like, how do you take care of yourself emotionally? Finding people to sit in that space for you is huge, but then how do you sit in your own space? Like, how do you allow yourself to feel with no judgment or guilt or shame? Um, How do you validate your own self? We don't learn that in high school. No, no, (laughs) we don't. Which is hugely important towards you being healthy and being able to like go through life and deal with things that come up that you didn't think were going to happen to you and you have to kind of adjust. So for you, what's, what do you think has been like the one difference in you from that, from going through all of that, what can you look at yourself and say, I'm different now because I had to go through that. And this is, this is what changed me. Well, for me, I felt that because I had been in a 25 year relationship with my husband, really, I met him when I was 18 and I was 43 when he died. For me, I um, really learned about so much about my masculine energy that I never knew because here I was this incredibly feminine woman because I had this male man, this male person, this wonderful male person holding space for me as a woman my whole adult life. And then suddenly he's gone. And I, I feel like this was an amazing opportunity for me to become a really super balanced human being where mm-hmm. I suddenly had to pick up the reins of our brand. And, you know, I had to, I, I, I had to work. I mean, it wasn't as I, as if I didn't work, I had written but with him and I had written books, on. but I took yeah. on all the roles, you know, I took on everything that was on my list, which was a huge list. And then I took everything that was on his list which I just have to say is really funny because he used to sit in the driveway and he'd have a pile of bills on his lap and, and he'd be sitting there weeding through the mail and stuff. And then, and then we'd both come in, we'd both pull into the driveway at the same time I'd come in and I'd be telling him about something fun I'd done with the kids or I'd been, you know, doing this, this fun thing. And he, he looked at me and he goes, I want to be you next lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be you next lifetime. And so I thought that was so funny that I ended up in this lifetime being both of us, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All at once. So I was like, oh, yeah. thank you, honey. Thanks. We, we didn't wait a whole lifetime for that. <laughs> Thanks for the teaching moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I, I do. I love that it 
opens you up to, yes, a side of you. I like that it opens you up to learning more of healing dirt, certain sides of you as well. Totally. For me, I've always led with masculine energy. That's just what I've always led with because I was raised by a single mother that taught me to be self-sufficient and all of those masculine traits. And of course there's the daddy issue and, and abandonment and things like that, which means I don't feel comfortable being in my feminine. So I'm the complete opposite of what you always were. But I had to learn because I could not do it all by myself at that point. And so I had to learn how to let go and be vulnerable and let someone in and help. And, and I mean, I guess I didn't have to have gone that route, but I knew, like you said, there was something in me that knew, like, I need to balance this a little bit and I I Mm -hmm. can't just be one. You couldn't just sit in your feminine energy all the time and not be the leader of the house. You just, that wasn't an option. You had two girls. So you had to step up and do that. For me, something just came over where I realized I actually don't want to be like that anymore. I, I do want to let people in and, and discover this other side of myself that I had never really tapped into before. For people that are really scared about rebuilding, like for you, when you started kind of looking at your life, when things started to get better and you started to feel better, how did you, what did it look like for you where you kind of sat and just said, what's next for me? Well, it was interesting because as I sat, things would come to me. I mean, just land, land, land to me, you know, mostly because of who my late husband was and who we were together for the world with, with our books. We're very, you know, we're pretty prominently known. And so I had, you know, people asking me to speak right away. I had um, publishers asking me to write a book right away. I had the website needed me to um, address our community right away, you know? So immediately I, I had to make that pivot toward the activities that I felt comfortable doing, you know, mm-hmm. in grief. And certainly writing became um, a conduit for me to tune into Richard and to be connected to him still. And so that was really gratifying. Writing in my journal um, every morning was really a beautiful experience because I, I could never type very fast. And then suddenly I was typing the way Richard typed. It was the weirdest thing. Even my kids noticed it. My kids were like, how are you typing so fast? I go, I think it's your dad. I think he's like, he's like typing through my fingers. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, and, and, um, so there, there were these beautiful um, moments in, in, in this loss too, for me, in the sense of, I was always really content to stay in the background with Richard and let him shine, let him be the public figure, even though he was really the shy one. And I was really the outgoing one. We, we had totally reversed. He learned to be more outgoing by being with me. And I learned to be more kind of reflective and a little bit quieter by being with him. And, and yet he was the one in the public public eye, super shy man, like really shy, like in in college, this man could not even talk to eight people without shaking and practically passing out doing a book report. Oh my God. I can't imagine actually. No. And then, and then he goes out and he's like this world guru, like speaking uh, ahead of Colin Powell on the platform at the time up to thousands of people. And I mean, it was just such an amazing transformation to watch. Um, But he always remained um, really true to him himself, true to that inner um, kind of monk that was inside of him, the real quiet monk that really would have just preferred to have an amazing view of the ocean, his laptop and one table in a room. (laughs) And then he marries me like the clutter queen of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yin and yang. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, so like he, it was really, um, really interesting. And then I, I found that after he died, I sort of integrated this, this quieter aspect of myself um, that, that wasn't so obvious before. Yeah. I mean, just such an interesting, just a, an amazing journey that for me to step out of the shadows and, and also to honor my own calling, um, through my loss, you know, was pretty profound. And, and I, it's something I was pretty aware of right from the very start that, Oh, this is why this happened. <laughs> oh, this was our soul contract. Really, honey? You know, like, did it have to be like this? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and I love that you said your, your, your calling, your, your soul calling, because what you went through pushed you out of your comfort zone a little bit to do things that you weren't doing before. And I'm sure there was some sort of ability of you really loving yourself and, and being able to soothe yourself and take care of yourself that allowed you to do that because you don't have to, you didn't have to do that. You know, you didn't have to go this route. You, you didn't have to take on anything. And I, I want to say this for the men and women that are listening that are in it, not in it on the ground anymore, but they're at that place where be proud of yourself because you don't have to do that. And, you know, and you could have gone a totally different route. It could have really taken you over. And I think you went deeper with your pain versus just seeing that surface pain. And I think a lot of people stay at the surface level and they don't go in a little bit to really heal and evolve past it and kind of transcend the pain that they're going through to honor what their soul was meant to do and, and to become that higher version of themselves, not only for themselves, but for others. And I think that, I mean, isn't that why we're here? We're here to connect and to teach each other and to connect with each other on the different things that we all experience and to learn. Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe that that's why they call it the dark night of the soul is mm -hmm. it's a passage. It's a transformation. It's, it's a journey. And the pilgrimage that you take inadvertently sometimes you know but that's also why you know Joseph Campbell's work with the hero's journey is so profound you know it's like why do some people take that journey and and own that journey and other people do not you know it, it becomes because they you must be aware that at a certain point in your grief there is a fork in the road and there is a choice to be made and the choice is not that you get to turn back on the journey and that reverse what's happened. The choice is that you look at the circumstances that you're in and you embrace what you've been given and you, you step forward in life and you step forward, maybe the babyest step forward, but you just begin to move in a direction that gets you out of, out of the place that you're in, you know, and, and that is a choice. And that's a choice to move toward joy again, toward life again. And believe me, I know we all feel like we are going to die when we're in that kind of pain. I did too. I, I felt like I was dying. And in a lot of ways you are dying. Your, your mm -hmm. ego is dying a death and it feels very dramatic and it feels very unsettling and you feel very fearful, which is all very normal. It's all very normal to feel those things, but you have to just really, you had to call on that inner grit, you know, and, and when you surrender to what is, it doesn't mean giving up. Surrender means allowing. Surrender means mm -hmm. allowing yourself to be in it in a way that will heal you. And, and I love what you said, because it's true. I did follow the thread to the deepest part of my pain and 
And I knew to do that based on just all the study I had done in my whole life, my spiritual studies taught me that, you know, my heart would know the answer. My heart would teach me, my body would teach me. That was the other mm -hmm. thing that I really noticed. And I don't know if you did when you're in grief was my body really taught me how to grieve. Like I would listen to all the cues, you know, when I wasn't crying enough, I would get a stomach ache and then I would cry really hard and my stomach ache would go away, wow. you know, and I, or I would cough. I would start coughing when I wasn't crying enough. And then when I cry, my cough would subside. Yeah. So there's like these different cues that your body teaches you how to do this grieving process. When you're not doing it enough, you'll notice right. these things. Right. I think for me, I just didn't judge the pain. I didn't wish it away. I didn't judge myself for still feeling this way three months later. You know, I just, I didn't judge how long it was going to take. And even now I, I don't think I'm too sensitive. I don't think I haven't healed. I don't put labels on things. I just try to be a little organic with what it is that myself, myself, my soul, my body feels like it needs. If it needs to cry, it cries. And if it needs to have a moment, it has a moment. It gets, you know, I remember working out, which I love to do that when I was going through my stuff, but whereas now I don't work out so much and <laughs> everyone says, well, you're not going through that anymore. And you're a little happy. So when you're happy, you're a little plump and <laughs> you enjoy life. <laughs> But I remember work, you know, being on the treadmill and like running and just listening to something that was motivational. And all of a sudden I could just feel it coming over me and I would just have to get up and go to the bathroom, have a cry and come back and sometimes do the workout. And sometimes I just left you know, and that was it. That was what I did. I did five minutes on the treadmill. I got emotional and I left and I went to go have my time by myself. Yeah. I think people from what I've always experienced is I, I just don't think people realize that there is a fork in the road. And I don't think that they realize they can make that decision that they can make that choice. And I think they are scared of just sitting in that little bit of pain. There's something about pain that scares us. And perhaps it's because we're not really taught what to do with it. Even as children, we're taught you're okay. You shouldn't feel that way. You know, all of those fun things that we talk about when we talk about child development and how mom and dad sometimes don't do the best job with us. Um, but it's because they didn't know either. It's just, it, it, and I think nowadays it's more open. We're more conscious of a, of a race, you know, to our feelings and it's not boys, should, boys are boys and boys don't cry. It's just, we're learning how to take care of ourselves in these deeper ways. And I think seeking answers for me was the biggest thing. My, I just was seeking knowledge. I was seeking an understanding of how to feel better because, you know, nothing was working and, and it's not that I wanted to move past the pain quickly, but I was also like, I, I needed to understand why was this happening? What was I supposed to learn from it? You know, all of those kind of like deeper questions. And it, it led to such a profound, you know, inner relationship with myself that in that, that relationship has changed my entire life. Every aspect of my life is different now because having gone through that experience. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's one of the really huge things that changes for all of us is being able to really honor what's true for us and to really know what that is. Um, you have a child. Do you remember when you were giving birth to your child, like how in tune you were to your needs? <laughs> oh my God. 
I, I definitely remember. It's funny. I remember that it was painful, but I didn't, I don't remember the pain. You know, you don't remember the pain, but, and I, and I was, I was very aware, even when he was a baby, I was super aware of him. And I think this, and I tell people this, and I say this because you don't have to be a parent to know this, but for me, my, a light bulb went off after I had him because the minute I had him, and I'm sure you will agree to this is I saw him in such a perfect, unconditional love way that I remember one time even thinking, I'm like, God, I don't even think of myself in that way. It was so odd to me that I could see this little being that it was alive for like 30 minutes. And already he is amazing. He can do everything. And I was so supportive of him and loved him so much. And then me, I had the audacity to say I looked terrible in the mirror. Like it was just, he taught me really how to love myself. He taught me what unconditional love was. I think um, that loss teaches us that too. You know, it really, it teaches us how to love ourselves and how to take care of ourselves and to really honor what we need, you know, in the moment versus living under this sort of pile of expectations of, of what we think we should do or how we have to live or um, what we need to do. We, we do what we need to do in that moment to survive and to get to the next level, you know, and then we learn, we learn to um, maybe it's okay to say no to a lot of things that don't really resonate with us. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing thing how much loss can teach you. Well, and it comes full circle. And I think for anyone who's listening, is there, I just want to say this too shall pass. Yeah. I said that to myself all the time. This too Me shall too. pass. This is not here to stay and just figuring out how to survive today we sometimes get so overwhelmed in the entire process. And if you just do those small little, this too shall pass and just be in these moments. And like you said, finding that peace, whether it is a walk or a, a nice warm bath or just something that really nurtures yourself. I mean, it's a game changer. And the funny thing is I still incorporate those things in my life today. And there's still something that I need because then I realized, even though I was in this in like terrible gut-wrenching pain, that even when the pain started going away, I'm like, no way. I think I kind of still need that. <laughs> That's a necessity to be, feel, feel good inside. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure pleasure um, speaking with you and hearing your takes on loss and transforming and rebuilding. Um, you guys, I will list everything down below and please, please, please go check out anything services, what she has to offer. Amazing, amazing stuff. So thank you again. And I'll see you next time guys. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Stephanie.